Okay. Good afternoon, everybody, or good morning if you're watching this later. Um, again, I'm Ethan Shapiro, and welcome to Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. I am very lucky to have my guest, Rebecca Dixon, on the show from chair of the Sierra Club Indian Peaks area um, in Boulder. So without further ado, Rebecca, how are you today? I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, well, it's weird. As we were just saying, you know, it's weird times, but I'm, it is. I'm holding my own. <laughs> I'm doing okay. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, uh, I hope, I hope other people are too. Yeah. Yeah. We can only, we can only hope, you know, put out, put get good energy out there into the world. But um, yeah, so thank you so much for joining me. It's really a pleasure to have you. Uh, do you just want to go ahead and give me some background on who you are and how you got to be where you are right now? Well, you know, that's, that's kind of a hard one, you know, where to start. Um, Always is. I was, I was, yeah, I know. I was born, uh, I was, actually was born here in Colorado and um, I'm, uh, I'm fourth generation Coloradan, which is, um, which is not a really big deal, but it, it has made me care about the state and about the West a lot. Um, the Dixons came here homesteading in Eastern Colorado um, in 1887 and uh uh, my dad's family's been here ever since. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm half Southern on my mom's side. My mom's family homesteaded in Texas. But I think there's just a long sort of family history of caring about the land. Um, mm -hmm. Not everybody, um, but there's just, uh, my, they were all farmers. And so there's a real attachment to the land. So I grew up here in Colorado and uh, it's changed massively over the course of my lifetime, of course. No kidding. Um, but you know, you know, though, uh, some people are bitter about that. I'm not. I actually feel like Colorado is a better state today than it was, um, you know, when I was born. And just be, I, I feel like uh, I, I like the people here. I like Coloradans better, uh, which isn't to say that the Coloradans when I was born were not complete people or whatever. I just think that <laughs> we have a lot of different viewpoints that we that are really good for us. And so it's been, you know, but watching this in my 20s, when I was in my 20s, I was very troubled by how the state was changing because um, there's vast areas that are now, mm -hmm. you know, developed that weren't. Where and were you I, living at that time? I was living at Lookout Mountain west of Denver. That's where I was when I was a little kid. And then I grew up in Green Mountain west of Denver. Lookout Mountain is, I used to be more, um, rural, but now it's really been, it's really grown in. And then Green Mountain, west of Denver in Jefferson cool. County. Yep. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's changed massively, but you know, what, what am I going to do? What, you know, that's what people have tried to do is put up a fence around Colorado, put up a fence around Boulder, a fence around uh, Boulder County, because we like what it is. And once we're here, we don't want anyone else to come in, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, I, I just, that doesn't work. That's not the way people work. And that's not the, the world way moves so work. fast. You know, it's yeah. hard to keep, keep up with everything. Right. Who are we going to lock out? You know, and, and you, <laughs> you know really quickly how troubling that becomes. Right. So, so I try to just, you know, with my environmental work, I thought, okay, if people are kind of going to come here and they are, and I don't blame them. I love it here. Um, let's make sure they do it intelligently. Gotcha. But, Did you go to the university of Colorado? I went to Colorado state university. Uh, for my undergrad and I got my doctorate at CU Boulder. Yeah. Okay. Very, very cool. Yeah. So um, what, what got you very interested in environmental work? And so if I believe I might've misspoke, it's the Indian Peaks group Sierra of the Sierra Club Foundation in Boulder. You are the chair right. of the executive committee. Is that right? Right. right. And, the, and the Indian Peaks group is basically Boulder County. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, I got involved 
I became interested in the environment a long time ago. Um, actually, Ronald Reagan was elected, and one of the first things he began to do was really dismantle a lot of um, in environmental protections. And he and James Watt, uh, who was the Secretary of the Interior, and I was pretty young, you know, and I was, I'm looking around, but I'm thinking, what are you doing? You know, this, this, you know, we, we worked really hard at this. And Republicans, you know, Republican President Richard Nixon is the one who put through all these laws, you know, who got the National Environmental Protection Act put through and clean water. And so and, to be clear, Nixon put laws to protect the environment. And you're yes. saying that Reagan went through and started kind of tearing through these laws. He, he, both, he began, he began both Republicans. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, very, it's very, it's, oh yeah. Well, Nixon arguably is the president who did the most for the environment. It's now he did curious, it because, curious fellow. You know, <laughs> I know, isn't that funny how that works? Yeah. Right? But, um, but no, the Republicans had, a, you know, Theodore Roosevelt, who helped set up a national park system, which is not a perfect system by any means, right? Mm -hmm. But it is an effort toward conservation. Uh, he was a Republican, right? right? So there's been a real shift. And Eisenhower, another Republican, he wanted to protect um, Anwar, the Arctic National Wildlife Ref Refuge. And right. so um, this whole anti-environment stance that Republicans have is, is relatively new. It's since Reagan, really. Well... I, always, I have spoken about this in the past. I don't think it's an anti-environmental stance. And I also believe it shouldn't be politicized in any way because it's all about public health and safety, which I think everyone's for. But I think there are, there are these people who have gotten these arguments of, what, of, of the, the climate, like not of humans, excuse me, humans not affecting the climate. And they all get into this um, group think buckets and we'll just think whatever the authority says is what they'll follow. I don't think people want to destroy the environment. I think they just genuinely believe humans can't have an impact. And I have interactions like this every week with people who truly believe that we cannot have an impact. And it's, it's, um, it's puzzling. Well, it's puzzling, but you know, in, until you know, you're exactly right. And I shouldn't be using the word anti-environmental. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's unusual to come across an anti-environment. Uh, person, you do come across anti-environment policy, you know, whether yes. you like it or not, it leads to anti-environment consequences. Um, and and uh, you know, it used to be Republicans really cared a lot more about that, right? But right. Um, yeah, I really, I wish that uh, the environment were not politicized to continue what you were just talking about, right? Mm -hmm. um, because that is, that just damages things. And, and, you know, we're all breathing air, you know, we're all drinking yeah. water. So, you know, yeah. how about, you know, keeping it as clean as possible? How about, you know, thinking about equity as well as we, you know, think about the environment because environmental justice is a real issue. But to go mm -hmm. back to what you said about people not accepting, uh, you know, climate change, I mean, a lot of that is, one of the things I try to recognize as an environmentalist is that fossil fuels uh, have been a, a tremendous boon for humankind, right? You know, you know, you and I are using fossil fuels right now for this interview, right? You know, absolutely. Uh, Boulder gets what fifty percent of its um, if it's electricity still from coal-fired power plants or natural and now natural uh, gas-fired power plants. You know, and it's, you know, there wouldn't be 8 billion people alive if it weren't for fossil fuels. Fossil fuels make our lives so much easier and everything. But there's just this minor problem. We got to give them up, right? Minor, you know, yeah. It has a minor problem. But, you know, we've been very dependent on them for 250 years. People don't want to believe that this wonderful thing and, mm -hmm. you know, fossil fuels are a wonderful thing. No um, question. Wow, um, they don't want to give it up. They don't want to give it up, right? Because it's given us so much. It's given us cars. It's given us warm houses or cool houses. It's given us lit houses. It's given us the things we really need. 
Um, is it problematic? Of course it is. Have we known about that for a long time? Yeah, we have. We don't want to move off because you know, a lot of people get rich with fossil fuels. It's made life more comfortable for billions of people. Mm -hmm. And yet we have to move on. I just think yeah. it's important to recognize that so that the naysayers about climate change, I think what they're really saying is they're, they're not saying no to climate change. They're saying yes to the many benefits of fossil fuels. Yeah, that's definitely a, a long topic. I'd love to have someone from the other side come on and discuss it at some point, because I do meet people every week who do have uh, passionate views. But for now, I just really want to transition to the Sierra Club and talk about the impact that the group is making and, and why you decided to join. So I know that their, their four main missions is solving the climate crisis, securing land protection, getting people outdoors, and building a movement. So right. why, it is, why is it, what is um, it that attracted you to the group? You know, all of those things. Um, I was, uh, I like, I, um, there's a saying in the Sierra Club, if you get people outside, that's all you need to do, then they'll take care of the environment, right? You know, uh, there's okay. John Muir, who's, you know, right now sort of falling from grace because of his, some of his views were, were quite ugly. But he said I, I, something like this, get people out into the woods and the woods will speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, was a, I was an outings leader. Um, the first thing I did for the Sierra Club was I did some editing for the Sierra Club. Okay. I'm a writer and I, I teach writing and um, my doctorate's in English. And so I did some editing for them. And then I began doing um, outdoor outings with, with Sierrans, which I love. I mean, I like to hike and backpack a lot anyway. So As we all do who live here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Living in Colorado and you don't, it's a pity, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, um, but then I, I got very involved with, um, you know, political endorsements. Um, I'm very involved with the fight against fracking. Um, yeah, for all I'm my sure we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I, I'm working on dark skies. I also work on chemicals, try to get people to recognize the real dangers of pesticides. You know, just about everything the Sierra Club does is of interest to me. Uh, yeah. I've, I've cared about the environment uh, since the 1980s, and I, I became active in politics uh, mm -hmm. in the 1980s. Uh, because of the environment, I guess, originally. But I also came, became involved, you know, because of women's issues and other, other concerns. But, um, yeah, I mean, the environment is a real concern to me. Um, uh -huh. In the 1980s, there were, there were just some pretty dramatic shifts, as I say, at the national level that were, were really pretty troubling for me. So I became interested in it. And then I learned about climate change. And I realized, whoa, we need to act on this. And, of course, you know, my generation, baby boomers, we have not acted on it the way we could have because we didn't know about it. And, not up uh, to my standards, that's for sure. No, no. I mean, you know, it's yeah. just, uh, and, and once again, it's the seduction of fossil fuels. Right. So how did you find yourself in the position of chair of the executive committee? And, and how is the organization structured to, to from top down from an idea all the way to actually getting things done on the floor level? Well, you know, it depends on the idea, right? Okay. So the top down. Climate so, change. Right, climate change, right. Yeah. So there's, there's only one Sierra Club, the National Sierra Club. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's National Sierra Club, there's the Regional Sierra Club, which is the Colorado chapter of the Sierra yep. Club. And we're like on the county level or okay. counties level, but Boulder, Boulder County. County. Yeah, yeah, Boulder County Indian Peaks Group. Um, so, um, and we need to all be on the same page. So if everybody, if, if I'm concerned about fracking, I need to make sure that the people at the top of the Sierra Club all the way up to the director are concerned about fracking and they are in regard to fracking. But, um, you know, dark skies might be a good example. Um, so a number of a couple of years ago, someone came to me and was real concerned about dark skies here in Boulder County. And, um, and 
you know, dark skies, you know, having dark skies is better for the environment, it's better for the creatures who fly around. And, You're talking and, about the issue of light pollution now. Yeah, light pollution, right. Cool. Yeah. Yep. So light pollution is a problem for creatures who are out and about at night. They need darkness. Um, they're used to darkness. And, and burning unnecessary light contributes, oh, you know, I'd have to have my, my notes in front of me, but, you know, t uh, many, many tons of unnecessary um, fossil fuels every year, just mm -hmm. because we're, we're lighting up things that don't need to be lit up. So, right. and so they asked me, do you want to get interested in this issue? And I said, okay, yeah, but first I got to find out where's the national- They being Sierra? the national Sierra people uh, it at was, the top or? No, it was actually, um, you know, Good, good clarification question there. It was uh, International Dark Skies Association, okay, which is known as IDA. So they wanted to partner with us to start putting on some programs, and we and we did. Up and we partnered with CU up at Fisk, um, the uh, planetarium, back in the days when you could be in the same crowded space together. We, right, we put Those on a days. number of programs. I know, like a year ago. Um, and uh, <laughs> but first, I have to find out. Okay, where's the National Sierra Club on light pollution? So I find out where the National Sierra Club is, and they are opposed to it. And there's articles in Sierra Magazine. So I say, okay, you know, I, I'm, I can I can act on this as the chair of the local group. And you know, we get involved. We we do a lot of partnering. We do partnering with Micah Parkin. You've worked with her. You mm -hmm. um, and Beth Austin. She's amazing. Yeah, and she's, both two she's, of them are so inspiring. Yeah, we've worked with both of them on different issues, right? Max Boykoff, who's also at CU. You got to get him on here. He's great. Yeah. Name's um, being written down right now, Max Boykoff. Boykoff, right. He's fabulous. Uh, you, can, you can Google him. You'll find he's got all kinds of articles out there. He's got a really Fantastic. good book. Yeah, really good book on communication and climate change. Anyway, um, I, I, you know, I, I, like, I like, I'm a teacher. Um, mm -hmm. I've been a teacher for a long time, and I guess I like to tell people what to do or something. <laughs> but I like putting yeah, on sounds familiar, right? I like um, I like uh, educating people. I like helping people understand what's possible, um, you know, what the threats are. But what, I, I, what 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 can we do about things? How can we make the world world a better place? That's pretty important to me. Gotcha. So I'm I'm still curious on how the what the day to day kind of looks like for work at the Sierra Club. Who's like the main person? Who's on the floor doing things? Whereas is, what does the director do versus a chair? That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a bifurcated group. There's the volunteers, and that would be me. And then there's the national, uh, the the paid, you know, uh, professional environmentalist. And um, so at the local level here at the Indian Peaks group, there's no one who's paid. Um, I have a day job at CU Boulder, which is where I was this morning. Um, and then uh, in my free time, I work on environmental concerns. And um, so uh, I work on it as I can. And it turns out being quite a few hours per week, um, 10 to 20 hours per week. You talked with Micah. Now, Micah's, you know, she, she's a paid environmentalist, right? She works yes. for Community Colorado. She and founded does the work. local, yeah. Yeah, she did. Um, and, you know, it spun out of uh, 350.org, um, you know, um, Bill McKibben's group. That's been concerned about climate change for some time. Um, so what do we do? You know, we do meetings. I, got, I, got, I have to say, because of COVID, what the Sierra Club does is really different, right? Of course, it's, um, it's the way the world is now. But I know we canceled, oh man, it must, must be at least five presentations that we're going to be mm -hmm. doing over the course of the spring. We quit doing presentations in the summer. We were going to have a we we sell, quack, quick adaptability. We need the oh, yeah, action yeah. now, COVID or no COVID. You know, this is not the yeah. time to be... It's tough. I know, and, and trying to figure out, you know, we're trying to negotiate this new space. You know, how do we use Zoom to be effective? You know, how do right, we use right. Zoom to continue getting our message out there? 
you know, we had, we have, we sold, uh, we sell organic peaches every year um, to make as a fundraiser and to make, you know, to uh, raise a consciousness about local farms, uh, local organic farms. Um, we had to cancel that, you know, we, we canceled um, um, our plant exchange. We do a free plant exchange to encourage people to use organic gardening, do organic okay. backyard gardening. Cause what you do in your backyard really matters a lot. So, yeah, and we'll talk about carbon farming at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of uh, things we can do in our own backyard. And we're trying to get the word out about that. So what does a day-to-day -day look like? A day-to-day -day looks like, okay, how many emails did I get today about mm -hmm. the environment and what needs attention? You know, that kind of thing. Thanks um, for responding. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And oh my gosh, there's no, yeah, there's an email from Ethan Shapiro. Who's that guy? Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. So I want to transition next to, um, I just want to get your thoughts on just consumption in general. So not even talking about using burning fossil fuels or using energy, just consumption in America, any sort of ideas you have for a path forward. I know um, Americans, I think they consume like 60% or something of the, the produce they actually buy. So yeah. I was just curious what your thoughts are on how we could foster an environment where people just stop wasting so many resources. Well, you know, um, it's possible that COVID might help us get there. Um, mm. But, you know, I, I think a lot of it, you know, um, goes to big industries that make a lot of money when we buy stuff we don't really need. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, it used to be in the 1930s and uh, 1920s. There's quite a bit of recycling in the 1930s and, and 1940s. During the Second World War, there was a lot more recycling than there is now. There was a very different sort of community uh, culture that, um, and I, it wasn't perfect by any means, you know, the, the, the racism um, and the sexism of, of the 1930s and 40s is really troubling to even think about, right? But, of course, um, especially from this position. No. Right, exactly, right. Um, but in the 1930s and 40s, there was this understanding that we shouldn't be wasting stuff. If you've been around the World War II generation very much, and most of them are gone, right? Um, but that was yeah. my dad. And, um, and he was a person who just didn't want to waste anything. Yeah, and, I mean, he's he's one of the reasons that um, I'm an environmentalist because uh, okay. he, he didn't like to see waste. And he himself, um, staunch Republican, he would not have called himself an environmentalist, but he actually practiced a lot of environmental values. Yeah. So the, 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 the consumption we have going on, a lot of it is just encouraged because it's good for, you know, a lot of corporations bottom line. Yeah, I think I've had seven phones now. Yeah, Something yeah, sure. Like that. Right. And they become obsolete and... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we recycle them and we hope that somebody is, you know, doing something with them besides they aren't going to, you know, some, you know, landfill in Southeast Asia. But right. um, they're just, a, there's, I, I think our whole, you know, we could be recycling phones. Um, we could be recycling all of the materials in phones. I mean, BMW, I think it is over in Germany. I think that they boast that they recycle every bit of their cars, right? So Germany has a really different attitude and was, which isn't to put them on too high a pedestal here, but I mean, they, mm -hmm. you know, Europe is pretty far ahead of us when it comes to environmental issues. Um, Could you give some examples? Cause I do hear that a lot. Well, you, okay, you walk into a motel room and there's more public uh, transit. I know that for sure. Yeah. Public transit, but you walk into a motel room in say Germany or Austria, um, England. Right. But I especially experienced this, I guess I was in Switzerland actually you walk in, you put your room key card down in the, one of those little slots, one of those electric reader slots, and 
that's when your TV comes on. That's when your lights come on. That's when a lot of, now, if you have a refrigerator and air conditioning, those things are already on, right? But it keeps you from, and when you walk out with your key card, all those things turn off again. You don't need to have those things on. Right. Now, Americans should know better, right? I mean, people should know better. Turn off the TV if you're not watching it. TVs mm -hmm. suck up a lot of energy. Uh, turn off and, and, and turn it totally off. If you have a little switch, you know, turn it off completely. Because even when a, our TV is sitting here next to me here, it's, it's, um, it's, it's sucking up a lot of energy so it can come on instantaneously for us. Um, if you give it a minute or two, it'll, you know, you actually totally un unplug it or turn off your light switch, right? Mm -hmm. In any case, that's what they have in Europe. I haven't ever seen that over here. They have mini gotcha. splits, you know, in so, Australia, right? Australia and yeah. China too, but they have mini splits where you have air conditioning and heating that only heats that room. You don't have to heat the entire house all at once. Um, yes. I, if you, you can see mini splits in the U.S., but it's usually in homes in Boulder where people have a lot of money and they can afford to try a different form of heating and cooling. Um, it just hasn't become normalized here the way it has over in Europe. I and see. that we're encouraged to engage in a lot of mindless consumption. And I think it's really damaged us in a nation, not just in that we're um, in, environmentally on, on shaky ground, we're mindlessly consuming stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it also gives, it establishes a mindset, um, uh, something so tenuous, you know, we have no relationship with a wrapper around fast food, right? You have no relationship with that food. You, and you eat half your burger and, and you, you talked about 60% of our food, how much is getting tossed into the I don't know if that I don't know if that figure is correct, but it's, it's pretty, is pretty startling. Yeah, it's a startling it, number. It's millions and pounds, millions of pounds of food, you know, going Just into- Just wasted. Wasted. Correct. And it's not even going into compost, it's going into the trash. Right, and, yes. Um, I think that um, the mind, it's this mindless consumption that, um, that food is free. No, it's not. You know, mm -hmm. food has this long history before it gets to our plate or our little cardboard box, right? Yeah, so, I think we need to do a better job of educating people about that because from a, a young age, especially if we're talking about just Americans, you're, you're, you're fed, most, most, right. most people at least. And um, yeah, you just don't think about the the path or the journey it takes or how much water is being consumed. I think if people were educated on how lucky they are and how much effort has gone into getting the food to their plate, they might be more conscious. Of course, it'll save them money as well, but might be more conscious with what they are con consuming because you realize it's your money pays for it, but you pay for it in more than just money. Like it took a lot to get that food to your plate. Someone had to farm that strawberry. It doesn't just appear at the grocery store, but I think right. that's a lot of things we just take for granted. Um, something, yeah, something else you said rem reminds me of something that Elon Musk had said on, on the Joe Rogan podcast, which I've, I found very interesting and seems to represent the future of American culture, at least when it comes to conservation of energy. Um, he talks, so smart home technology is very um, impactful now in the real estate industry. People want their home to, you know, they want to talk to Amazon. They want to talk to Alexa and have her, you, wanna, you can order a package from bed or you can tell her to turn the temperature down. So he, he mentioned that there could be these scanners in the house that it sounds a little creepy, but I mean, this is the way technology is going that it'll, it'll look at your activity. So let's say that you get up at 8am, you eat breakfast, you drive to work, and then you come home, it will regulate the temperature. So when you are like, for example, it'll communicate with your Tesla, if you're like 20 miles away, it'll turn on the air conditioning. And it won't just turn on the air conditioning for the entire house, it'll turn it on to your, 
your office room, which it knows that you're going to go to at 5.30. So then that room is, is cooled exactly what you want it to be. And then it'll cool your bedroom at nine. And instead of having the entire house just on this central system where it's all 72 degrees, it'll actually save energy by knowing your, your preferences and your schedule. I just thought that's very interesting. And it seems like a good way to conserve energy and use technology at the same time. Yeah, I think that something, you know, things like that can be helpful. Um, I mean, some of the other stuff like Alexa and that, I mean, do we need less exercise in our culture? You know, so, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't want to get up and, you know, go get whatever I want to get or turn on that light or whatever, or, you know, turn on that podcast. Um, but, you know, do we, do we really need less exercise? I mean, in general, some of those, those things I think are pretty clever. For instance, the, you know, heat your house, get your house heated up. Um, before you get home, I think just the r one room too. So yeah, instead of right, doing the right. entire 3000 square foot house, it's like, right. you know, 50, 150 square feet. Right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of smart things we can do with technology. Um, it's interesting that technology is in burning fossil fuels. Technology is what got us into this mess. But you know, it's technology right. to get us out of it, right? That's with a good question. I hope so. Well, you know, I I have to, I'm an optimist. My father was an optimist. Um, and maybe it's That's genetic, good. but I, I have to, you know, <laughs> I mean, I actually don't think that we can afford to be pessimist. Um, if we give not, up, not at this stage, if, if we give up, if I give up, it's, you know, my, my generation has already blown it. <laughs> I, there's yeah. many baby I'm a baby boomer. There's many baby boomers who have, who have done good things uh, for the, for the earth, for the planet. And I can name who they are a bunch of them, right? There's mm -hmm. millions of them, but there's so many of us who I need to buy a bigger car, I need to buy a bigger house, and I, you know, I'm going to buy, I'm going to live on fast food, and I don't care what happens in my backyard, and uh, and I don't care that the world is warming. I think that's been a real disappointment, and and it's it's been, I got to say, an abandonment of our responsibility. So I, I can't afford to be, and, and besides, I have such privilege. I live in Boulder, for goodness sake, right? What do, yeah, we, you know, yeah, we're very know, sheltered I can, here. I, I. I don't think I have the right to be a pessimist. I need to do whatever I can to help in the years. Yeah. Well, what do you think about getting those people involved? Because I, I don't see a realistic solution without having these people like you just described involved. I try never to cut ties with anyone, whether whatever opinions they have, I respect everyone's beliefs. And I do believe that when, especially in a forum like this, if I were to have a climate denier come on and, and talk, I don't think we would have any sort of ill will towards each other after we left. I, I really don't look down on people for having opinions. But at the same time, we both want this. I think we both want the same thing. I don't think anyone's just a straight hedonist and only cares about themselves and they wake up and they want to be happy. I think people want to go to bed at night believing that they're a good person and they justify that with their beliefs. So I, there, I, I do believe there is a way to, to reach people as, as long as um, I just have to be concur concurrent with what they believe in already, which is they think they're a good person. How can we mix? How can we change their mind about something that's so, so important for everyone, you know? Yeah, I, I think that you know, that's one of the Sierra Club's big goals, right, is to try to get you know, we're, we're talking to the choir. It doesn't do you a whole lot of good. Right. You know, um, there's a lot of uh, environmentalists who are Sierra Club members. How can we get, you know, contact, you know, uh, the other, you know, 229 million people. We have about a million, two million people, supporters and members in the U.S. Well, that leaves, excuse me, 300 329 million people, you know, who, who um, they are, I'm, I'm sure they support a lot of them. Who support. want a voice. 
who right. don't like being silenced. Yeah, they don't like being silenced. And what can they do? I mean, when people hear that I'm active with the environment, a lot of times they'll say to me, well, I don't know what I can do. We can do an awful lot. And I, oh, I think yeah. it's, it starts with understanding our own backyards, our use of, our use of plastic, our, you know, are we using poisons and pesticides in our own backyards, poisoning the environment and poisoning ourselves? You know, are we, you know, uh, what, how close to work are we? Are we walking to work? Are we riding our bike? Are we close enough to do that? Um, my husband and I, when we uh, moved into this house, we were much younger and uh, we, we rented it first and then we bought it after, you know, renting it for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, we, it, the rent was above our heads, but we thought oh, wow. we want to live in Boulder and um, we sounds like a familiar story. Yeah. And, and we want to be able to commute easily up to CU Boulder because my husband works at CU Boulder as well. Great. So wouldn't it be, we thought about Louisville. We thought even about Broomfield because that was Broomfield was our budget. Right. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to be close to work. And uh, so we decided it was worth the extra money. And our landlord was really cool and gave us $150 off his asking price for the rent. And that was important oh, back then. Yeah. And then we bought the house five years later in 1997, and it was the smartest. We, we bought the last affordable home in the city of Boulder. And, uh, um, but we, we were thinking environmentally. We were really thinking through that lens of uh-huh. you know, convenience, yes, but also uh, we want to be able to walk or ride our bikes. This was before we had a bus system going up to campus. Walk or ride our bikes to campus. We're two miles from campus, right? Yeah. And that was pretty important to us. I think it's, it's a very bikeable city though. It's designed it that way. City. Oh yeah. I mean, I ride my bike to school every day. Right. Um, to Amazing. See, yeah. And um, as did I for, for, for three and a half years. I know and 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 why, you know, I, I don't know how much money I've, I've never had a CU parking pass. I don't know how much money I've saved mm-hmm. on that, but I know it's, it's a lot dollars and I, yeah. and I, and how much, you know, how much uh, CO2 didn't go in the atmosphere and how much weight is not sitting on my hips? You know, it's it's a it's a it's it's a it's a win win win, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I think that a lot of people think that caring about the environment is hard, and it's about giving things up, and it really doesn't have to be. It it is about you know reassessing your values to some degree. I mean, I don't eat fast food. Partly, I, I don't. Um, I, I don't. Could could you el- elaborate on that a bit more? Because uh, we wake up, we turn on the lights, we run the running water. We get in the car, we, t- we fire up the gas engine, we drive 20 miles to work, we use right. the coffee machine, we turn on the lights in the bathroom, the, air, the building is air conditioned. How, how could we possibly transition to such an extreme without giving stuff up? You know, um, a couple of things you might be able to give up. Um, is it possible to live closer to work? Is it possible to telecommute? I think that's ideal in, in many ways, that's, that's one of the big yeah. reasons why I live in town. I, I mean, right. that even just saving time is so important for right. work. Right. Well, the city of Boulder, I mean, to, to step away from the individual, the city of Boulder and Boulder County, we need to work a whole lot harder than we have on affordable housing. Um, right. Young people should be able to buy a home to find a life in Boulder. I mean, I was able to find a life in Boulder, and I shouldn't be the last generation that was able to do so unless you're mm-hmm. rich right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You shouldn't have to be rich to live in Boulder. I mean, communities that are only about- I hear this a lot every week as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if a community is only about one socioeconomic Mm -hmm. um, group, uh, communities just, they just decay, they erode, they're they're, they're not interesting. Um, You got to have different backgrounds coming in, you know, some diversity, different age groups. You know, the person who works at the post office should be able to live five miles, two miles away from where they work. They work in Boulder. How, how can we make that work? Boulder could do a lot of things about that. And I mean, that's, that's a, a sort of governmental community, sort of uh, bigger issue. 
but in terms of the person waking up, you know, there's a lot of choices you can make. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing. What kind of car are you driving 20 miles to work, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to go out and buy a brand new electric car. Can you buy a used one? Because, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of energy goes into that brand new car, right? Um, but, you know, what are, your, what are your options in getting to work? COVID has messed this up. Could you take mass transit? Could you take a bus? Um, would you be willing to think about, I have a friend who commuted back and forth to Denver on his bike from Boulder. Now this might be a little bit. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's cool <laughs> but, though. Uh, right. And it was North Denver. You but, can't do that from Jersey to New York where yeah, I'm from. No, I thought that doesn't work. It does work here. There is a lane all the way from Boulder to Denver and back. And it I don't is. think it would be that unpleasant a ride either. No, it's not. It's, I've been most of it. Um, it's pretty mm-hmm. nice ride. I haven't gone all the way into Denver. I should, because since I was born in Denver, I should do it. But uh, <laughs> you could also stick your bike on a bus. You yes. So what are your options? In terms of coffee, no, there's, there's no negotiating coffee. You got to have the coffee, right? Sure. But, um, but you don't need to go through McDonald's, you know, drive through and get, you know, a little cup that's made out of styrofoam, which is dreadfully for the environment. And I don't actually yeah. know. Donald's is using styrofoam. So I think they it, stopped doing that. Yeah, but a number, but it, it, styrofoam should be illegal all across the country. It's, it's, and we can talk about plastic. That's a big thing to talk about. In any Absolutely. case, so you don't need to do that, you know, and, you know, with the little plastic cup, all of which usually goes into a landfill. Um, mm-hmm. But um, there's, there's all kinds of choices you can make. But they, yeah. the big thing um, that I've been wanting to say, you know, while talking is it really does take thought. You know, um, a lot of the big corporations, they don't want us to think, right? You know, right. They, you know Coca-Cola wants us to you know, just go buy a Coke. Don't stop and think about the Coke, the calories in the Coke. Don't think about the container. Don't think about, you know, the cup that goes into the landfill. Don't think much about that. So thoughtfulness, you know, some really conscious thought that I, I would hope would become habituated. It certainly has with me. I don't think <laughs> I am. It's I'm, rare, I'm, the, rare these days. Right. Yeah. I mean, think, yeah. I know. Just thinking about, do I really need that? Um, do, and, and this is, is this, um, is this a, a company I want to support given, you know, the way they're conducting their business and I'm pretty selective about that. So, yeah, cool. All right. So let's talk about your work on light pollution and dark skies. What, what got you to that? And I'd, I'd like, I'd love to hear some quantifiable reasons why light pollution is such a problem. Yeah. Um, well, first off, that is something that's been lost, lost along the front range is being able to see the stars. You know, when, yeah. I, was little, yeah, when I was a little kid living on lookout, you know, um, there were far fewer lights. Um, you know, you could see the stars pretty well. You could see the Milky Way. Um, when mm-hmm. I was a little kid growing up in Green Mountain, west of Denver, you could see the Milky Way. Not as darkly, you know, not, as, not as spectacularly, but um, you can still see it. I haven't seen the Milky Way from Denver. Um, or from Boulder uh, in decades. The last time I saw the Milky Way, I was wow. filming, um, looking at the uh, the eclipse. Yeah, um, we were camping. But you know, um, well, that's aesthetic. Yeah, it, it, that's aesthetic, exactly. But what are the consequences? Okay, so right. let's say you're you're a frog, right? You're a little mm-hmm. frog, and you're a nocturnal frog, and you need to you know make little frog bleeding sounds all night long in order to attract a mate. And um, but you're right next to a light that's next to a pond, you know, here, any, a lot of places in Boulder that have lights next to our ponds and along our yep. bike lanes. And Street that, right? lights, sure. Right. And so you're the frog and you're intrigued by lights because all of us are intrigued by lights. Human beings, light draws the attention, right? You know, mm-hmm. moths, you know, human beings, lights, um, you know, frogs, you know, turtles. It's like, 
a symbol of life. It, it is, you know, it, it's, um, we are on these, uh, these diurnal, uh, these uh, patterns, right? These rhythmic patterns, and it's all about light, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and so you're the little frog, and instead of making that sound that you need to make in order to attract a mate and continue your species, you become intrigued with the light, and you just stare at the light in your little froggy way, and you're not doing the things <laughs> you need to do, right? And, and, and so it's, it's disrupting like, the ecosystem. Right, and a better example might be that people can visualize a little bit more easily is the moth who circles around your lamp who uh-huh. got in your house, or who is circling around your backyard light. You should be getting eaten by a bat. It should be being eaten by a bat or pollinating your flowers. I have a garden back. That's what I'm pointing to here. Great. It should be pollinating your flowers. It should be doing a lot of things. It should not be seduced by your light. But uh, and a lot of lights we have on, you know, people think, well, you have to have light on because if, if burglars will break into our house. Well, it turns out. That's a theory I've heard. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the research is interesting on this. Burglars are aware of light, too. They're pretty smart. And what do they do? They just step through the shadows and shadows are cast by light. There's, this, there's a, pretty, a couple of pretty famous photos you can look at where an intruder is in the glare of a light. So mm-hmm. you walk out to take your recycling out and you, you, the light is on, but behind, but intruder knows that a bright light blocks your, your ability to see the intruder at night, right? Behind that light. Just think about driving along in your car with your headlights on, right? Especially your brights on and, yeah. and lights coming towards you, right? Okay. It really blinds you, doesn't it? Yeah. You're driving yes. along and you're blinded by these headlights come. And so mm-hmm. you learn to, you know, look at this, look to the side of the road where you aren't being blinded by a bright light. Um, that's um, what intruders are aware of at night. And they're very aware of the light. So, it's far better to have like a light sensitive um, or excuse me, a movement sensitive, motion sensitive light that comes on um, or just no light at all. Really. I mean, sure. It will save you money as well. It saves you a tremendous amount of money in fossil fuels. fossil fuels. Right. Mm-hmm. Not being turned. I think the, the number, I, I think it's 40 million metric tons of um, CO2. We could protect that. We could prevent that from being put into the atmosphere by following um, the International uh, Dark Skies Association recommendations on nighttime lighting. They realize you need to have it. You do need to have mm-hmm. it. But you can also have lighting that comes down rather than out. And um, in the city of Boulder, what's not well known is there's a light ordinance now. And like 10 of my neighbors- I'm yeah, thinking, I read that in your article. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think I'm gonna just go turn them all in, you know? <laughs> because yeah. the lights shine into my house. They're engaging in light trespass. And Boulder, Boulder has made that illegal, right? I like my neighbors. I don't want to turn them in, but there's yeah, a real- Well, it's not intentional either. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't. They don't know what they're doing. The woman down the street, her bright light has been shining in my bedroom during, in the summers, you know, for 20 years, right? She's, mm-hmm. um, she's in her 80s. She's a wonderful woman. I like her personally very much. She doesn't know that she's engaging in light trespass. And, see, and Boulder made it illegal, you know, to do that because it's bad for the environment in a number of different ways. Gotcha. So as yeah. far as affecting the environment in a negative way, I've been, I, I do a lot of door knocking. I meet a lot of people every single week. And one common th- thread that's coming up is people are very concerned with the use of pesticides in the environment. Yeah. And I know you've done some research on that for sure. How, how do you think we can kind of turn this around? I know people love the classic 1950s, bright green, beautifully well-kept yard, no insects, or they want to keep, uh, have their own um, 
gardens with amazing fruits and vegetables that aren't going to be eaten by bugs or anything. How can, what is the role that pesticides has in the future of, of this country? I think, I don't know. I'd like to see um, pesticides not have a future in this country. You right, know, um, right. The average person is now it's born. Poison. Yeah, it is. It's poison. It's absolutely is. The average person is now born with um, a number of different um, pesticides in their umbilical cord, right? They, they can find it. And uh, wow. we don't know the full consequences of all these chemicals, but we do know that the consequences are bad. We know that. We know that um, glyphosate, which is the central ingredient um, in weed killers, we know mm -hmm. that it has been named by the World Health Organization as a probable carcinogen. We've known for, and, and there's a lot of lawsuits against Monsanto you might've heard of, Yep. Um, because um, many people, especially, um, you know, people who are agricultural workers who were using that, using their Roundup, which has glyphosate in it, uh, and they have developed cancers and such. And, you know, there was one lawsuit, I think it was $1.1 billion awarded to um, a plaintiff. I think it was just one or two plaintiffs and $1.1 billion. Now, I'm pretty sure Monsanto is appealing all of these, right? And uh, Monsanto's trying to protect its... Um, it's it's strategic uh, legal plan it makes sense right exactly um deny deny deny, deny. exactly deny deny right. deny right and um but we know there's all kinds of research that gets across the other carcinogens carcinogens are bad news to go back to your your ideal yard that's a real problem you know right. a, a number of companies have convinced us that that beautiful it's part of the american dream well, is what it is and it's and you know it's i gotta tell you you know it, it's 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 boring right that little plot right. of grass that it's a monoculture and yeah. uh and it makes you you know spend your saturday mowing and fertilizing it and a lot of people throw some poison down as well mm -hmm. it's slowly poisoning you it's poisoning your dog it's poisoning your cat it's poisoning your kids because these toxins they don't Neighbors. break down quickly no. and um um i i the chemical industry uh we, we really need to think long and hard about chemicals. I have pulled up a lot of my sod. I don't live in an HOA. I pulled mm -hmm. up a lot of my sod and put in um, what most people say is a very beautiful pollinator-friendly garden. And uh, it's okay. huge. It takes up more than my, ha my backyard, half my backyard, more than half my front yard. And I grow a lot of vegetables as well. Um, and it's just a delight right now. There's birds, there's, there's pollinators, um, there's hawks, there's, um, there's little garter snakes. It's very healthy. I have a healthy little ecosystem. I think Do you want to talk about uh, carbon farming a little bit? Because it's a bit of a, a perplexing subject for me. How does that relate to like, know, a full ecosystem garden? I think you want to get Elizabeth Black on here to talk about carbon farming. Wow, you're giving me, you're giving me leads. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth Black is great. And she can talk to you about carbon sequestration you know, through farming and that. And it's a pretty important thing. I don't think a lot of people are going to be um, doing in the future. But anytime mm -hmm. you can plant something in your yard, whether it's a tree, whether it's uh, a garden, it's flowers that are pollinator friendly, and you don't put poison on it, you're doing the, the environment a favor. And, right. um, you know, I, I don't have a yard, I have an ecosystem. Gotcha. It's, it's, it's uh, one fifth of an acre big. <laughs> so, but it's, um, it is one of the most popular spots in the neighborhood for pollinators and birds, you know? And uh -huh. uh, it, it brings me immense joy, Ethan. And I think that's yeah. what we all should be doing. And the idea, we, when we bought the house, we had just this, you know, this boring little, you know, grass in the front and grass in the back, this monoculture that doesn't do anything interesting, not feeding anybody. The people want, yeah. Yeah, right, but everybody's gotta eat. And now, you know, honeybees, bumblebees, butterflies, um, birds, 
bats. They all, you know, have food in my backyard, including a deer who likes to hop over the fence and eat my sunflowers and such. So, yep. Um, it ain't it ain't perfect, but you know, no. um, yeah, I like I love it. So, all right. So yeah, I definitely want to talk about what we can do what we can do locally in Boulder. I know oh. that that's Indian Peaks does a lot of work on. Obviously, there are the, the Boulder County Sierra Club branch. But um, so I see signs that say stop gross dam expansion. I'm, I'm curious what would be the harm of expanding the dam. I don't understand how dams really work. As again, I'm yeah. just a salesman, but I do have an interest in this environmental stuff. And I see a lot of people do not want the dam to expand. So I'm curious what that, what that would lead to. Well, you know, it's a hundred. So think gross reservoir. I'm not sure if you've ever been up there. You got to go up. You know, I've, been, I've been there. I've been on yeah. it. Yeah, right. It's, it's a frozen. nice place. When, yeah. when, what were you doing up on gross reservoir? Oh, we were just walking around, um, around, and then we walked out onto it, which I, th- I think is, I think it's technically illegal, but it was frozen and we just went for like a little walk and it was like yeah. frozen. There were people like skating around and stuff. It was pretty fun. Yeah. 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 Gross Reservoir, um, you know, built decades ago and, um, it's, uh, it's got a large dam already. Well, Denver water wants to make that dam 131 feet higher. Okay. 100, yes. 131 feet higher, hard to visualize. So, and once you make it that much bigger, higher, um, you have a lot higher water capacity. You got to get that water from someplace. Well, the water is already coming from the western slope. It's coming mm-hmm. through a diversion um, from the western slope. You're going to divert more water that would typically go into the Colorado River and flow down through, you know, Colorado. So we're pushing the water back up from where it's coming from? We're, we're, we're keeping it from going into that water system. We're sucking water okay. out of there. I think they'd uh, suck it out of the Fraser River. And um, they and we bring it across through these diversions. There's a number of them, right, um, up and down the Front Range. These tunnels that pull water from the western uh, rivers, and most of the um, snow that falls in the Colorado Mountains ends up going out into the Colorado River and out into the Pacific eventually, uh, mm-hmm. down in the Gulf of Mexico. So this is more water that we'd be withholding from that river system, and that river system needs that water. It's already deprived because we suck so much out for agriculture. And municipal use. So we pull even more water out so the Front Range could have more water. You're thinking, well, doesn't the Front Range need more water? More people want to live here. Well, mm-hmm. apparently the, the water um, amount that we'd get could be um, uh, if, if we did xeric water, you know, landscapes and saved water on a regular basis throughout the Denver area. And Boulder would get none of this water, by the way. Did, did landscapes? What, what do you oh, mean? Oh, Zurich landscapes, you know, so you don't have landscapes to use as much water. Those, those grass little plots that we were talking about earlier, they mm-hmm. suck up a lot of water. If you do... Uh, right. um, Sprinklers, yeah, yep. Yeah, if you do uh, Zurich, you know, what, what we call these, these uh, dry land crops. I, lo- I love seeing the, like, the little desert set up in people's yeah. yards when they put down yeah. the rocks and put down the sand and plant like cactuses and stuff. And I find cactus. that very cool and unique. Right. And there's, there's all kinds of plants. Like I have a bunch of stuff in my yard, like bachelor buttons and uh, sunflowers that don't require a lot of water and, right. and uh, pollinators love them and they're pretty. And so there's different ways of doing that. But so we, with it. we could save the amount of water through conservation that we would get in um, that we would, because uh, you know, by, by expanding the dam, the other um, uh, problem is that the chance, especially with climate change, chances are mm-hmm. that, that dam is not going to fill up um, every year. In fact, many years it won't. So you put a whole lot of money and effort into an environmental damage 
into mm -hmm. building this dam into this giant, you know, 131 mammoth, you know, feet higher than it already is. And it's already very large. Um, we can make it much bigger. It'll be the biggest construction project in the history of Boulder County. And, um, and, the, and then it doesn't fill up most years. It'll be an unusual year when it does fill up. Fill up we just have who is pr who's proposing this expansion and what's their argument for why we Den should do it? Denver Water is proposing it and Denver Water is proposing it because it's been on the books for decades. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Boulder's been fighting it for decades. Boulder County has been fighting it. The people who live up there, Coal Creek Canyon, um, they've been fighting it for a long time. Another one you want to have on your... Sounds you know, like they're winning. Uh, um, well, you know, we've won so far, but, you know, you got to keep fighting that fight. Constant vigilance if you're an environmentalist. Yeah, I think so, the, the Dakota Access Pipeline, which the fight started, what, two and a half years ago now, has, has just finally been, like, canceled or they succeeded right. at stopping the expansion of it? For now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, the gas company that wants to pursue that is going to um, appeal it. But, yeah, in district court, it was, um, it, they ruled that uh, it, they can't do it. But, you know, good. I was very happy to hear about that. Yeah, that was a couple weeks ago now, right, or last right. week? Yeah, Denver Water actually just got a green light to proceed forward um, with their uh, with their expansion. But it all comes down to the Boulder County Commissioners and because um, it has to have county approval. And we're mm -hmm. hoping county commissioners will uh, will not approve of it because it's it's not a good idea environmentally, economically, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. And the people who live up there, it's going to take ten years to do it. Ten years of disruption of these giant trucks rumbling down the road and yep. the and, and the dynamiting, you know, the noise. Uh, it just the people up there. I don't think I've never met anyone who lives in Cold Creek Canyon who wants to do it. Somebody else to talk more about that with is Bam yeah. Hurts. Bev Kurtz, K-U-R-T-Z, of the environmental group. It's called TEG, the environmental group. And they've been actively fighting the, uh, the dam expansion. They're the ones who put awesome. up lines um, that they stopped gross dam. I'll have to talk to you after the show about a list of people that you think I should get in contact with. <laughs> I have a great. list. I, I do have a list. I could, I could send you a list. Yeah. That'd be amazing. So do, do you want to talk about the electric grid in Boulder and uh, this theory of municipalization, I think is the word? Yeah, you know, Boulder is, um, is very much for uh, the city of, uh, of Boulder, or excuse me, not Boulder. The Sierra Club is very much for uh, the city of Boulder taking over its municipal electric supply so is it controlled that, by excel energy now it's concerned yeah it's controlled by excel energy and excel energy of course is a profit-driven giant corporation um, based out of minnesota and um they uh they've been driven by profits for years and they will happily admit to that mm -hmm. and um, um they the shareholders have, are yeah they've, they've blocked all kinds of progress you know um the utilities themselves could have embraced uh, wind and solar far earlier than they have. Um, Xcel is getting there. They, they, it's they about, about a risk that. tolerance thing, I think. Right. Well, it's it's not just that. It's it's they had a business plan that works, right? Burning coal to make electricity is something that Xcel understands very well. Mm -hmm. They've shifted over to natural gas, burning natural gas to produce electricity. It's their business plan. They know how to do that. It's real simple. It's over 100 years old technology, but it basically works, right? And something, and um, getting coal out of the ground, it's all territory that they understand. And what most importantly, because it's so, you know, getting coal out of the ground, transporting it to a uh, uh, electric plant that Xcel owns and producing electricity there, that's all very difficult to do. We have solar panels on our house. Maybe you got mm -hmm. solar panels on your house. I'm an energy producer. 
Excel mm-hmm. doesn't want to compete with me, right? They don't want to, solar is, right. um, once, you have, once you understand the technology, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty straightforward. I want the city of Boulder control, to control our electric supply because um, they aren't profit driven, they're service driven, um, the mm-hmm. city would be. And, um, uh, and they're very concerned about the environment. Excel has proven that they didn't care about the environment for a long time. And they say that now we've changed, we care about the environment now. Well, I think 50 years of not caring about the environment speaks pretty loudly. Probably. They're still, blo- they're still blocking things like computer, community solar gardens from, you know, from big, big application. Blocking um, they, in, in a, like a, like a lobbying sense. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So okay. let's say, let's say you and I want, you know, um, we got a big shade tree out front. So we only have four solar panels over our garage. We have more mm-hmm. solar access. Right. And, um, but we have this big shade tree. And so we really can't produce a lot of solar energy here at our house. So let's say, and you have the same problem. So, so let's say you and I, but I get it, but the park down the road could build a farm exactly. for all and of so us. You and I it only makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and we want to make a community solar, a community solar garden. You and I. That sounds fantastic. And well, it's legal to do, except Excel has to approve of your permit and they'll only approve of a couple per year. Mm-hmm. And there's way more demand for community solar garden um, electrons than there is um, permitted, right? And so that's one of the things that really disappoints me in Excel. They want to control the energy supply, and I don't want a big profit-driven corporation to control yeah. the energy supply. This is something I definitely would want to do more research into because it's yeah. so important. You know, you don't think about how, you know, we don't think, again, we don't think about how the food gets on the plate. We don't think about what gets the lights to turn on. We know it's fossil fuels, but there's a lot of in, um, middlemen in between. So yeah. to just to kind of, kind of just conclude here and sum up, I just wanted to talk about fracking a little bit because I do, I do, I know, I know we don't want to have fracking in Boulder. It's very, it could be very harmful for the environment. Obviously it's releasing more fossil fuels, but fracking in a way has kind of saved the American economy in many senses by creating this environment where the U S is now a net exporter of fossil fuels and fracking is to thank for that. So kind of, we have the powers is in our hands now, but it's our hands are dirty, if that makes sense. So what, I don't know how to, construct a good argument for why we shouldn't frack when in in the short term it seems to just make the most sense well it's because i mean the number one argument against that is it is the short term but we already know that solar and wind is now cheaper electricity than is coal-fired power plant right um you know so they're, they're saying among environmentalists is coal and solar is cheaper than or excuse me um solar and and wind is now uh, less expensive than coal, coal-fired power mm-hmm. plant electricity. So there's that. Um, we've gotten there. We got there pretty quickly, actually. Um, um, fracking, so you can frack for natural gas or you can frack for oil. Turns out in this particular area, they frack for oil. Um, and there are real consequences to it. You know, when you frack for anything, you're usually there's usually a methane release. Um, and methane, there's, a, there's this really good New York Times article about all the, these leaks um, of methane down in Texas in the Permian Basin. Um, and so that's they're pulling, four they're, times more, I don't know if it's harmful to the ozone yeah. layer than carbon dioxide? It's, it's, more, it's, a, it's a greenhouse gas. Methane is this, is this really powerful um, uh, greenhouse gas, uh, one of mm-hmm. the five greenhouse gases. And it's, it's, it holds a whole lot more heat. So you right, don't want methane just leaking out into the atmosphere. 
but it is leaking out into the atmosphere at just about every fracking site you look at, right? And so that's one of the big problems is the leaking. Um, when you burn natural gas, it burns 50% cleaner than burning when you burn, you know, coal, mm -hmm. but uh, it still is releasing CO2 in the atmosphere. When you um, take advantage of wind power or solar power, you're not releasing any CO2 into the atmosphere. So um, we need to be going in that direction. Um, you know, fracking also, you know, when you, to get the, um, uh, these, the natural gas or the oil out of the ground, you gotta use a lot of pressure. You have to use a lot of water and um, you have to use a lot of chemicals and those chemicals get left behind in the groundwater. But also wow. um, one of the reasons that you might notice that Boulder continually has um, some pollution problems, right? It's because a lot of our, whenever the wind is blowing from Weld County where they're doing a whole lot of fracking, it blows back up against the mountains and it brings its toxins with it, uh, ozone wow. and other things. And, um, and so fracking causes a whole lot of pollution problems. It's, a, it's a, a particular, a big problem up in Longmont, which is closer to Weld County. Yeah. So there's all kinds of reasons um, not to, uh, to, to curtail fracking and I'm, I'm quite convinced we will as we continue to just appreciate the environmental damage done to our atmosphere mm -hmm. with methane and carbon dioxide warming. Meth it, it's, so, it's, it's a double whammy. We release methane when we pull methane out of the ground, right? And then we produce CO2 when we burn methane. Um, but then the, the uh, health consequences, you know, babies who, are, uh, who grow up close to fracking sites have more problems with uh, more neurological problems, more uh, tendency towards certain cancers. So fracking is not a long-term solution and it's, it's time to move off of it. Now. Yeah. It, it kind of sounds like a bodybuilder who wants to get very strong and multiple take steroids and just take lots and lots of steroids and will be doing great. And the, the, you know, he looks like the best bodybuilder in the world. And then 20 years later, he's Oops. completely, he has all these issues. He can't, he can't move anymore because we kind of cheated our way to success, if that makes sense. But um, might, I don't know if that's the best metaphor for fossil fuels, but it might work. I well, mean, just, for, for, just for specifically fracking, because it's so much more yeah. effective than just like digging up coal. It really has, has saved this, this economy in, in many ways, as sad as that sounds. Yeah, that's true. And so there's a whole lot of coal still under the ground right here in Boulder County. But methane, keep it that way. Right. Methane and oil is a lot easier to get at. So, yeah. But, you know, fossil fuels, um, I think your metaphor does, I'd have to think about it some more, but, you know, I think- I just I, come up with silly ones like those all the time. I don't but, know. But, but, but let's <laughs> work with it, right? I think, you know, yeah. fossil fuels were, um, they're a quick solution. They're sort of a, a dirty diaper phase of human energy use. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's fair. But we need to move beyond it. It got us where we are now, you know, and, and I, I do not dismiss- you know, the, the comfort levels that we all have now that would have been impossible mm -hmm. without fossil fuels. I don't dismiss that. I don't right. think we would be able to have the science to get at solar and wind power if we hadn't gone through fossil fuels first. Because it's, you know, you burn coal. We figured out how to do that a long time ago, right? Yeah. And um, it, it, it wasn't, it isn't um, fancy technology. Solar energy and wind power, even though we've had, you know, windmills for a long time as well, um, it's, it's time to move on. Right. So, but I don't, I mean, I think that's one of the big problems that a lot of environmentalists have is they won't acknowledge the benefits that have come with fossil fuels. Let's acknowledge it and let's move on. Yeah, we have to, we have no choice. I agree. Um, so to conclude here, it seems like 
one of the big um, ideas you would put forward for solving this crisis is probably something I would definitely agree with that we're definitely lacking in is just, just the idea of thoughtfulness that we discussed, thinking about what you buy, thinking about what you consume, thinking about just everything's fed to you, fed to you, fed to you. We should be inspiring people to, to think more. So how would someone who kind of maybe is watching this or hasn't gotten involved and is kind of concerned, how can they start living their life in a more thoughtful way? I, I'm not sure. I think you go out to your backyard and you think about what's possible there. Mm. You know, you got, you it's got, a good, it's a great place to start. In the it's backyard. a great place to start. And you, you don't have to go, I mean, you can go someplace else if you wish, but if you want to have an, want to have an effect, have an effect on your own backyard and think about, you got soil, you got water, you got your hose, right? You know, can you grow something more interesting than grass? Can you grow something that benefits you and benefits other people? I think and, you and, can. And, and, and little creatures, you know, from, you know, can you refrain from using poisons and, and have little worms and bacteria in your soil and, and butterflies and honeybees? Go out to your backyard and figure and be thoughtful and figure out, can I do something better here? Because you certainly can. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to start. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. This was great, Ethan. Let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Sounds great, Rebecca. Thank you all, everyone. And I hope you all have a fantastic day.